Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Um, I have been, but I, 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 I have been lifting more weights the last, uh, well, like 28 hours. Just feel this need to constantly lift weights and speak with a lisp. Um, William said, Pete, I like the example you used in the last hour when talking about, um, when I was talking about the protesters, and they say that, you know, we want to make ourselves heard. We, we're not being heard. And you are being heard. You're just not being listened to. And when I say listened to, I mean like a child is forced to, quote, listen to their parents. In other words, follow their orders. When they demand a ceasefire, I mean, think about the absurdity of this. You're going to go march on, like, city council or something, and you're going to say, we demand a ceasefire. They did this up in Durham. Or, yeah, I think Durham, where they passed some sort of a resolution. Ooh, okay. I'm sorry, does the Durham City Council set American foreign policy? But even so, the demand... For a ceasefire, like we're, we're funding Hamas, we're funding the Palestinians, we're funding the NGOs, we're funding Israel, we're funding everybody. Now, if you want to have a conversation about not funding anybody, okay, then let's have the conversation about that. But like we've been, America's been spreading money around all over the place over there. And that is not what limited government people like myself prefer. But also... I am not going to step in and say Israel needs to do X, Y, Z. You need to do this. This is how I want you to handle this. I'm not going to tell them that. That's their country. They're going to defend themselves. This is how they are seeing fit to defend themselves. I've got a really interesting piece on this, actually, um, written by Matty Friedman, who was a former uh, AP reporter and I think like bureau chief or something, he wrote a very long piece at Tablet Magazine um, about his experience. I'm going to get to that. But let me pick up, oh, sorry, William's email here uh, to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. He says, I like the example you used, parent-child conversation, describing how it was not the audible vibrations that weren't being heard. It was the refusal of submission. The only thing I would say is these protests are like a child protesting to its parent. They keep throwing temper tantrums, but the parents are correct and will not submit to the childish outburst that the child keeps displaying. So I mentioned at the end of the last hour a piece by Noah Rothman. This appeared at National Review, but he writes like Commentary Magazine. He writes all over the place. Um, He said, This week, readers of the left-wing publication called The Nation were treated to a spirited debate between two of its authors around the following proposition. Is Thanksgiving such an irredeemable display of noxious American jingoism that it should be abandoned altogether and replaced with an agonizing struggle session the magazine has decided to call Truthsgiving? <laughs> right? So, like, jingoism, like, ultra-patriotic type of language, right? Nationalist types of uh, uh, vocabulary. 
And then um, agonizing struggle sessions. Struggle sessions are what the Maoists, uh, the commies, would, would put the people through in order to, you know, re-educate them. You admit that you're wrong. You admit how you have sinned it. You know, you admit you're one of the olds, and now you are, uh, you are uh, set free through the work done in the struggle session, and uh, now the revolution may proceed. Unless, of course, you don't get re-educated sufficiently, and then you're just dead. But um, the writer and activist Sean Sherman declined to endorse this proposal, but he said he was not so quick to dismiss the charge that Thanksgiving itself constitutes a celebration of America's sins. It may be a forgivable moral lapse, though, because, quote, aliens in a foreign land need to invent new myths and identities to provide themselves with a sense of people, purpose, and place. That's what he said. So we created this new myth about America. Right. Stories are really important to nations, to religions, to communities. Stories are very important. You know, like hands up, don't shoot. Never happened, but the story was really important, right? That story motivated people to engage in fiery but mostly peaceful protests and destroy billions of dollars worth of property and kill people. But um, stories are important, no doubt about it. At the very beginning, right after October 7th, what did I, what did I say? I echoed Rush Limbaugh's axiom that the world is governed by the aggressive use of force. You can deny that all you want. It doesn't make it false. But number two is that land is conquered and held by those strong enough to do so. You may not like it. You may not want that to be the way that things operate. I prefer diplomacy. I prefer politics, disagreement, discussion, hammering out differences in a civil and uh, peaceful, nonviolent way. But when you meet an enemy that is unwilling to do so, then if you are not able to defend yourself, you die. That's how that happens. That's, that's what governs the world. Cops know this. Thin blue line and all that, right? People are like, I think a lot of people live in fantasy land about how thin the line is between order and anarchy. Things break down very, very, very quickly. Anyway, back to this piece at The Nation. The descendants of the New World settlers won't disappear tomorrow, unfortunate though that may be. So those myths retain some value. But the original colonists are undeserving of our gratitude. You want to give thanks? Sherman asked. Give thanks to native nations who granted settlers some form of legitimacy by entering into treaties recognizing them to be in our homelands. This raises an an interesting question, what with all of the discussion about colonization and such. Um, Am I supposed to be worried about massive amounts of immigration into this country or or other countries, Western civilizations? Am I to be worried about that? After all, that's how the colonists, right, the, the... European settlers that came and colonized in America low those many years ago, that's how they were able to do it. No? Is there a lesson to be learned here? Should I be taking anything away from this? Or, or, or how about this? Um, when Muslims conquered all of uh, the Arabian Peninsula and then, you know, spread out, right? Yeah, the Ottoman Empire and all of this. Um, is there a lesson there? Was that colonization? Yes, it was. 
this all just proves my point about land being conquered and held by those powerful to do so. Because you, you don't get to say no unless you can resist the force effectively. Otherwise, just saying no is just your last words before you're, you're killed or enslaved. You could say no all you want, but if you cannot enforce your no, then your no has no value, has no power. Chase Iron Eyes, a nation contributor, wanted nothing to do with his exercise in needle threading. Speaking as a proud member of the Oglala Lakota Nation, born on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, he subscribes to the view that Thanksgiving is a celebration of colonialism, violence, and misrepresentation. If the holiday is not done away with entirely, we should decolonize it. Americans should spend the day steeping themselves in guilt and solemnly atoning for the sins of their forefathers with the understanding that true absolution is available only to those who contribute healthy portions of their incomes to a variety of progressive projects. Because it is always about the grift. Always about the grift. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Noah Rothman's book, Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. (laughs) He says, progressivism rose from the ashes of the Puritan experiment in mainline Protestant New England, and it retains some vestigial totalitarian traits. As you would expect from a holistic worldview that maintains that all of society's oars must row in the same direction. The original Puritans of the 16th and 17th centuries were hostile to holidays. I read about this in Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing the Witches, all about the Salem witch trials. Like, they didn't, like, they, they didn't, they, holidays were days of work. Like, you work, you work, you work, and then you work some more. They didn't like the idea of taking a day off because then people would get lazy and, and oafish or whatever, and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything. Very, very strict, those Puritans were. Um, they were uh, yeah, they were hostile to holidays because observing them encouraged what Cotton Mather deemed licentious liberty. They distract from the great labors of our time by promoting mad mirth, by long eating, by hard drinking, by lewd gaming. Cotton Mather was of the Salem witch trial fame, and his father increased Mather. They were the ones, Cotton Mather was worse than his dad. Um, although he is actually one of the big proponents of inoculation. He wrote, a, do you know he's like the most published author in American history? He had like 400 books, which makes sense because like, you don't celebrate any holidays. You don't take any days off. I guess that's all you do is you write all the time. But he actually had a pretty good scientific mind, but he was also corrupted, obviously, because he allowed spectral evidence to be included against those accused of witchcraft. Oh, and then by the way, the church would collect the uh, the property of the 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 
the witch that they set on fire or crushed with stones. Um, he said, or the new Puritans, this is from Noah Rothman, the new Puritans object to holidays on roughly the same grounds, which is why they so routinely try to mute the enjoyment you partake in them. This is why you get all of these articles every single holiday around Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? It's like, how to have that conversation, how to totally own your uncle who's a Trumper, like all of these things like that, that like arm you as if you're going into a uh, theological battle with your family members when you're just going to have, you're just going to have time to spend with them. Hey, how's things going in your life? Let's catch up and tell stories, share memories, because at some point they're not going to be around. If you got questions you want to ask the older people in your family, these are the opportunities to do it. Hey, what, what was the story with that uh, crazy uncle, whatever? Oh yeah. He was a, he was totally in the tank for uh, Eisenhower. Oh man, he was crazy. No, no, I'm kidding. But like, that's, that's the reason you get together with family. You don't have to discuss all of these things. You don't have to turn them into struggle sessions. But I guess if you've got commie activist types in your family, then they're going to try to, to do that exact thing. Rothman concludes this piece. Again, this is at National Review. He says, the fact that no one outside the progressive tribe seems inclined to listen to these overwrought admonitions doesn't seem to bother the admonishers. Right? We hear you. We don't agree with you. It's really that simple. Now get out of the road. Stop gluing yourself to art pieces, you know? But it doesn't seem to bother them. In fact, the progressives doing the hectoring appear to take pride in their isolation. There is satisfaction enough in making a dramatic display of their bottomless capacity for joylessness. In that sense, at least, the activist left has found a leisure activity that they do enjoy, even if it is only trying to deprive the rest of us of a good time. <laughs> they do seem to enjoy this. But then again, you know, so did the, uh, the witch hunters in Salem. They so did enjoy burning people to death. In a related story, a woman with uh, North Carolina ties is among the hostages released by the Hamas terrorists. Adrian Siegel otherwise known as Aviva Siegel, an American citizen with ties to North Carolina, is among 17 hostages released by the terrorist group Hamas yesterday. And uh, what, they're going to extend it now? We see the reports now coming in uh, today that they're going to extend this uh, uh, pause, the ceasefire pause, for another two days. You know, the, the problem that Hamas has here, and everybody knows it, is that the, eventually, they run out of hostages to, to swap, right? They, they only took, what, 240, and Israel's got thousands. They're prisoners, you know, brought in on charges of terrorism-related activities and stuff. But also, look, I'm not a defender of the Israeli uh, system of, of, uh, of uh, adjudication on some of this stuff. From what I've read over the last couple of weeks, they seem to have a very... Uh, uh, Let's just, well, I don't want to. I don't want to give any bad uh, analogies or euphemisms here. They they seem to be ready to um, to charge people very quickly, right? and then run them through a process that doesn't have a lot of uh, defendant uh, protections. They run people through military tribunals and stuff. So, and I'm not an expert on how all of that goes down. But bottom line is, they have 
thousands of their of Palestinian prisoners that Hamas wants to trade for. And Israel is now caught in this position of what do we do? Do we try to wipe out Hamas knowing that we're going to end up killing some Israelis who are in who are being held captive? Or do we try to make trades? But Hamas is only going to have an incentive to do so for up you know, for only so long, because at some point they don't have any more abductees to give back. And they know that. And so they're trying to get as many as they can. And they're trying to right now, they're like releasing women and children. Oh, this is so infuriating. The women and children. They're releasing Hamas is releasing infants and elderly, right? Young kids. Israel is releasing 16, 17-year-olds and women who tried, like one who, I'll tell you in a minute after the news, she she was arrested after trying to blow up a car. And she's getting this this treatment as if she was, as if, like there's some moral equivalency to the babies kidnapped out of Israel. It's just nuts. Email is Pete at thepetecallanershow.com and on the Twitter machine at Pete Calliner. Um, we're, I have really stirred up a moon bat who is demanding I answer this question. I said, sir, this is Twitter. I'm under no obligation to do so. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Sometimes, sometimes trolling is required, but come on over, follow me for a laugh or two. Uh, and, and honestly, you get an interesting peek into the psyche of, uh, of some of these people that, adhere to these just moonbat positions. But the good news, the good news coming out of um, one of these hostage swaps uh, or hostage for prisoner swap um, is that Aviva Siegel, an American citizen with ties to North Carolina, is among the 17 that was released yesterday. The announcement came from Senator Ted Budd, who played a role in negotiating her release. Siegel's husband, Chapel Hill native Keith Siegel, 64, remains a hostage in Gaza. This is the third group of hostages released after a four-day ceasefire. Another one um, apparently agreed to today between the terror group Hamas and Israel. Carolina Journal reporting that the Siegels are humanitarian workers living in Kafar Azah, which is a kibbutz, which is one of these farming communities, hit particularly hard in the brutal Hamas attacks on October 7th. Earlier in November, Ted Budd, Senator Budd, met with Qatari Ambassador Mashal Al-Thani in Senator Budd's Washington, D.C. office and strongly urged his government to use their leverage on Hamas's leaders and hold, them, uh, hold those same Hamas leaders accountable once the hostage situation is fully resolved. Also among the hostages released yesterday was a uh, four-year-old American Abigail Moore Idan, whose parents were murdered in front of her by Hamas terrorists. Now, I think I saw. Hang on a second. I think I saw. Okay, no, this is. Yeah, okay, this is the same girl. Um, the families of American citizens, this is from NBC News. The families of American citizens kidnapped by Hamas militants in Israel nearly 40 days ago uh, said they want to focus on international attention on the plight of their loved ones in captivity. Um, This was from, I think, so 
All right, the family of three-year-old kidnapped by Hamas reveals harrowing details. And they talk about this little girl, this three-year-old, Liz, or sorry, her uh, Abigail Moore Idan. Her great-aunt is named Liz Hirsch Naftali. And she said that the three-year-old's parents were killed in their home. Abigail was in her father's arms when a Hamas gunman shot him. He fell on top of her. Abigail then, quote, crawled out from under her father's body full of his blood. Hirsch Neftali. Liz Hirsch Neftali. Who is she? Besides the great aunt of this three-year-old. Going back to a story at the Business Insider. Um, Hunter Biden did, in fact, learn the identity of two buyers of his artwork according to three people directly familiar with his own account of his art career. And one of those buyers is indeed someone who got a favor from the Biden White House. The timing of their purchase, however, is unknown. That buyer, uh, that buyer is Elizabeth Hirsch Neftali, a Los Angeles real estate investor and philanthropist. Hirsch Neftali is influential in California Democratic circles and a significant Democratic donor who's given more than 13000 to the Biden campaign and another almost 30000 to the uh, C. In 2022, she hosted a fundraiser headlined by Vice President Kamala Harris. Insider also obtained internal documents from Hunter Biden's gallery showing that a single buyer purchased $875,000 worth of his art. The documents do not indicate the buyer's identity, which is also unknown to Insider at this time. All right, so here you have a buyer of Hunter Biden's artwork whose great niece gets abducted by Hamas and is one of the first hostages released and the biden administration deeply involved they say in trying to secure a deal i mentioned this person also a little bit ago um isra jabies perhaps the most well-known name on the list of 39 palestinian prisoners and detainees released from uh, an Israeli jail early Sunday was Isra Jabez, or Jabez, 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 who was accused of attempted murder by Israel and had been in jail since 2015. The New York Times put this headline, a disfigured woman whose case has become well known is among the Palestinians released. The disfigured woman was a car bomber. Yeah, she was thwarted in her attempt to blow herself up while killing Israelis. Um, The soldier that she permanently disfigured, he survived, um, but but her bombing didn't go as planned, obviously. And then she was arrested. Oh, and then she demanded that Israel pay for her plastic surgeries. She was one of the women released. Uh, there was another woman, Yelena Majid, or Magid. She was uh, an Israeli woman, elderly woman. She was uh, released, and she revealed that her nephew, a guy by the name of Roni Krivoy, had managed to escape Hamas captivity for four days. He was running around and hiding in Gaza. He was being held by the by Hamas in a building that was hit by an IDF bombing. 
and it collapsed the building. So he managed to escape. He spent four days on the run. He was caught, not by Hamas, by Gazans, by civilians. They caught him and they turned him over to Hamas. And apparently he was freed as a gesture by Hamas to Russian President Vladimir Putin. I guess the guy's Russian. Roni Krivoy. K-R-I-V-O-I. So many different angles on that, right? Who's turning him over? Civilians, right? The people that have nothing to do with Hamas, but they turned him over to Hamas. Right? This, what I, I've said this for years. Everybody likes to think that they would be the ones to shelter Anne Frank and her family. They would be, one, they would be the ones that would help and, and hide Jewish people during the Nazis' reign. When in fact, most people did not. Most people just turned a blind eye. Most people made excuses. Most people turned in their neighbors. That's how these things go. Under the deal, Hamas is set to release at least 50 hostages, Israel 150 Palestinian prisoners over four days. Both sides were starting with women and children. Israel said the four-day truce can be extended an extra day for an additional 10 hostages freed. After nightfall, Friday, a line of ambulances emerged from Gaza through the Rafah crossing into Egypt, carrying the freed hostages as seen live on Egypt's state-run Al-Qahera TV. The freed Israelis included nine women and four children nine years and younger. And some of the people on social media like, oh, look at these children, look at the love they have in their eyes. Oh, that's appreciation that they have for their captors, as if Hamas is, was just treating them so well. Like one of these girls had a bullet hole in her leg for 50 days, went into surgery, may lose the leg. Some elderly women into the hospital, touch and go. This idea, this idea like that this is some sort of moral equivalence. You got guys that they release, so-called children that Israel released that are 16, 17 years old. And the first thing they did when they got home was kiss the ground wearing the Hamas bandanas. People all celebrating. Oh, and did you see they hung a couple of what they accused were Israeli collaborators? Yeah, and, and the Palestinians did that, not, not Hamas. Just regular civilians. They just murdered a couple guys, hung them up, strung them up onto an electrical rig. And, uh, and I think they chopped off the legs and threw the bodies into a dumpster and spit on them. And yeah, oh yeah, just on an accusation is all. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110 are the phone numbers. Email is Pete at the Pete show.com. Michael Oren. He uh, formerly was Israel's ambassador to the United States. He was a member of the Knesset, which is their Congress, right? Uh, or parliament. Um, who's deputy minister in the prime minister's office. And he has been writing at timesofisrael.com various uh, pieces. This was under one of their uh, blog sections. And it's called Israel's Choice, Body or Soul. He says, the war with Hamas is forcing us to decide between Israel's body and Israel's soul. 
Israel was created with a double identity, Jewish and democratic. Yet that duality was mirrored by Israel's twin missions. Number one, to guarantee our fundamental security and sanctify our citizens' lives. The state would defend itself while promising that those who we send off to defend it will never be left behind. Israel pledged to ensure both our physical and moral existence, our body as well as our soul. The IDF, accordingly, sent commandos to rescue the hostages at Entebbe in 1976. Five years later, fighter jets they sent to blow up the Iraqi nuclear reactor. The same year, uh, sorry, the same Israel that launched a preemptive strike against gathering Arab armies in 1967 airlifted Ethiopian Jews in the 1980s and 90s. For 75 years, Israel succeeded in pursuing both of its founding goals, safeguarding the land as well as its people without contradiction. That changed October 7th. The calculus has changed. If Hamas had only butchered, burnt, and raped 1,200 Israelis and not taken any of them hostage, then Israel could have invaded Gaza, crushed the terrorists without hesitation, flooding their tunnels with seawater. That's what I said. That's what I said when I heard about the tunnels. I was like, why not just blow one up near the ocean or the Mediterranean Sea right there? I just, just blow up a bunch of areas to connect to one of the tunnels and then just let the, let the sea do the rest, you know? But you can't do that if they've got all the hostages down there. If you're trying to save the hostages. Now, if Hamas had killed no Israelis but only taken hostages, then Israel could have exchanged them for the terrorists in Israeli jails. And that's <clears throat> sort of been the, the uh, M.O. in the past. By the way, one of the most offensive things I heard was an Australian broadcaster ask a spokesman for the Israeli government, well, you know, you're only trading, you're, you're getting 50 Israelis and you're giving back 150 Palestinians. Well, does that send a message that you don't value the Palestinian life as, as highly as you value an Israeli life? Because it's a three-for-one deal, basically. The guy was the guy literally is his like jaw dropped open, his eyes like widened, like he was speechless. Like, are you serious? Is this a real question? We yeah, we would have preferred one on one. These are not our terms. Because you could also look at it like the Israeli life is a third as valuable. Because they get three. Unbelievable. I'm going to get to the I'm going to get to the journalisming side of this in the next hour. But Hamas did both, right? They murdered and they abducted. Forget the military victory. Michael Oren's daughter says Israel's only goal must be to free the hostages. But his son responds, "Well, without Israel, you won't have an army to send to defend them or to go get them." Right? So between these two positions, which do you choose? This is their dilemma. Either we give priority to restoring our deterrence power and returning the more than 200,000 displaced Israelis to their homes, or we focus primarily on securing the hostages' freedom. <clears throat> Either we convince Iran and its proxies never to attack us again and persuade additional Arab countries to make peace with an indomitable Jewish state, or we fulfill Israel's oath to never abandon our fellow Israelis. 
Either we accept an Israel that may well be rendered defenseless or an Israel that our citizens may no longer be willing to defend. He does say, though, there is a third option. There's still time to reframe the goal of the war from annihilating Hamas to securing Hamas's surrender. There's still time to offer Hamas free passage from Gaza, like in Beirut, 1982. Return the hostages. You guys can leave. Go off to Algeria, Libya, Iran, wherever. Would that be a deal worth taking? 